Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. Welcome to Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. Gosh, Connor, defund the police week two. The mm-hmm. issue just will not go away. We're Hopefully gonna, it does not. We're going to get into that uh, in in a big way. The world's newest nation, Chaz. People Chaz. are very excited in all The only Chaz, Chaz I've ever liked. Uh, in the northwest United States. Um, up there, we'll talk about the Chaz folks in uh, Seattle. Uh, we're going to talk about how you really have to keep your eye on the Senate because, you know, things aren't looking good for Trump. You know, I think he's down seven or eight points to Biden in most polls. So then the real question is, will the Republicans somehow, by their fingernails, hold on to the Senate? Because if they don't, then basically the Democrats are going to party like it's 19, no, like it's 2008. Like yeah. it's 2009. Nine, right. Because, that's when he got his supermajority. Yeah. In January 2009, that's when Obama became president. The right. Democrats controlled both halves of the United States Congress. And finally, who says Donald Trump doesn't care about climate change? We're going to answer that provocative question. So defund the police uh, week two. I think it's interesting to see all the commentary, Connor, about the defund the police idea uh, from from the left and the right. And interestingly, uh, just in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal just a couple of days ago, you have different perspectives from black spokesmen Mm -hmm. or, or spokespeople um, first, let's talk about the view of Mariami Kaba. She's director of uh, Project NIA, a grassroots group that works to end youth incarceration <clears throat> and an anti-criminalization organizer. Mm-hmm. So the headline, talk about provocative in the New York Times, the headline is, yes, we mean literally abolish the police. Yeah, And I think a lot of folks have been observing in recent days well, you know, Biden isn't exactly getting behind the defund the police right. movement. He's kind of backing off. Um, I don't know if you have a sense as to how vigorously the Democrat mainstream folks are going to go uh, in favor of defund the police. I mean, certainly the issue is so intense and emotional right now. But in a month, in two months, what's your it's, crystal ball say? It's really hard to know. But if I had to take a look in the crystal ball, I think that— this has shifted the conversation, or as they call it, the Overton window, in terms of what the left will be discussing. Defund the police is now going to be a permanent, in my opinion, permanent talking point for uh, left Twitter and those who read it uh, to be talking about, to be championing as a, a, a progressive cause. It's going to be a progressive litmus test in places like California and especially places like San Francisco right. that you're not going to get elected unless you're on board with defunding the police. Now, what defunding the police means, because it's vague, uh, is is going to be uh, tough to, to nail down. San Francisco, as we've seen, has already started doing it. These are things that are going to have lasting effects. And we're going to see successes come out of here, get trumpeted as, uh, as something that should be adopted more widely. I think that's here to stay. Will it be a determining factor for the national presidential election in November, which is a full five months away? 
I don't know. That's really hard to say. If I had to guess whether it would be a national issue and whether Biden will have to take a stance on it, I would say it will be a national issue, but Biden will smartly dodge taking a stance on it. Well, let me lay some language on you from uh, Kaba's piece in The New York Times. Uh, we should re- redirect the billions that mm-hmm. now go to police departments toward providing health care housing, education, and good jobs. If we did this, there would be less need for the police in the first place. Mm -hmm. When people, especially white people, consider a world without the police, they shudder. People like me want to abolish prisons and police and envision a different society built on cooperation instead of individualism, on mutual aid instead of Mm self-preservation. So I'm guessing that however it rolls out over the next few months, most Americans are going to say, okay, crime requires investigation and arrest by police. You can give them a different name, you can shift some money, but you still have to go after crime with investigations and arrests. And ending our police departments, literally ending them or substantially reducing them in the minds of most Americans is going to equal, simple equation, more crime. And in a way, Couldn't you make the same argument about our military? Our military has been misused. We are guilty of imperialism, of invasion, of of overthrowing governments. So let's disarm uh, because we've, we've misused this. Let us disarm. Let us literally abolish the military. Now, won't most Americans say, oh, my God, that's a bad idea. The bad guys across the ocean would take us over just like the criminals, you know, the Mexican mafia, the, the meth labs, the cartels, they would take us over, take over the neighborhoods, take over the cities if we literally got rid of the police. Isn't that going to be the enormous Mount Everest size uphill battle that anybody supporting defund the police is going to face this coming election? They are going to, to face a, a very much uphill battle from people who slippery slope it into, well, why don't we just uh, get rid of the military? Um, and they're going to be, you know, the, the, they're going to be the Jack Nicholson's. You want me on that wall? You need me on that wall? There are people out there saying— You can't handle the truth. Yeah, exactly, that, that, that you need somebody on the ramparts. But I think that as we see local municipalities, especially like San Francisco, taking steps, people will realize we don't need the police to stop crimes. We're not going to end up with, you know, neighborhoods lost to uh, to gangs or something like that, because the police, that is the concept that the government that is local government, city governments have guns and people holding those guns. That's not going to go away. You can still have city governments employing men and women who are armed and not have... How's that different from the cops? Well, that's the thing. Not have the police as we know it. When you pick up the phone and you dial 911, there's still going to be somebody so on the other end So substantively, what's that. different between the current police structure and what you just described? Because the current police structure is employing X number of people who have Y responsibilities. X, say, 10,000 people. You can abolish the police, and by abolishing the police, maybe instead of having 10,000 people on the payroll, you have 1,000 or 500. That might be abolishing the police. Think about the money that they get. The LAPD is like, you know, 95% of Los Angeles's budget, right? We have them do everything that we need people 
you know, to do on behalf of the city other than, you know, architects and engineers and, and city planners and stuff like that. They go out and are the boots on the ground to do everything. So when you have a, a place like San Francisco say, we're not going, if you call 911 and you say, somebody's having a mental health crisis uh, and I need, we need help, they're not going to send the police. They're not going to send armed people. So, that, so what if somebody calls and says, uh, a guy's breaking into my front door? Under the, the new world order. Well, we don't know. We don't know what that's going to look like. That Maybe that well, means... We better sending, figure it out if we're going to implement it, right? True, true. But maybe it means sending some, somebody with a gun, or maybe it means sending people who don't have guns, just like they do in England. In England, the cops are not armed. I've heard that. Are you sure that when the police come out in uh, in London to a, a call about a burglary guy breaking in, are you sure they aren't packing heat? Yes, I'm absolutely sure gonna that che- works. We're going to check the internet there on that. Are what, what if the 911 call in London says, oh, and by the way, he has a submachine gun? Well, then... And he's saying, I hate the cops. I'm going to kill any cop who comes close by. You think that maybe uh, the, of the, course, the Bobbies it, would, uh, would would arm Of course, themselves? in that scenario, then you end up with the equivalent of a SWAT team. Now, I don't know exactly what England does in terms of having a SWAT team on call. Or I don't know if they you know, farm that out to some more credits. federal organization. Maybe they have sort of the FBI or CIA equivalents handle that sort of thing. I don't know. But whatever the structure is, the question is, do you need beat cops carrying lethal weapons? And I think a lot of countries have proven that they don't need that. Maybe America can follow that example. Well, we have this great Petri dish going on up in Seattle, and it's called the uh, the Principality of Chaz. Now, the Internet, <laughs> Connor, tells us there are 195 countries in the world. No, no, no. 196, because Chaz is Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Demonstrators up in Seattle have taken control of a six-block, square-block area. Uh, And it is, uh, people say, is this real? Well, to quote Tex Watson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's as real as a donut. Uh, The characteristics of the principality are cop-free zone. Uh, They do have a volunteer uh, security force. Um, Folks are required to show ID, proving that they live there. Uh, Businesses inside the zone reportedly have been victims of extortion. They're being asked to contribute money and property to to the cause. That report was actually uh, not substantiated. Thank goodness. So that hasn't happened. In fact, found to be false. That was reported initially based on police reports. That is, the cops said, well, they're extorting people in there. And then the reporters went into the zone, which they could freely enter, and then talked to business owners, and business owners said, no, everything's fine. We've not been extorted. But what is true is that the word has gone out. They're requesting donations of vegan pizza and soy products. That, that's that's undeniable. And please send anyone who's not a software engineer. We, we don't need any more software engineers, please. Look, they actually, uh, uh, even newer update, they have renamed it. They got so much pushback about the fact that it's this autonomous zone. No one knows what that meant. And people didn't like the fact that it's autonomous. And the organizers, to the extent that there are organizers, announced a name change, which then, of course, caused yet another schism, the problems of dealing with uh, organizational systems. They said it's not going to be Chaz anymore. It's going to be CHOP, C-H-O-P. It's going to be the Capitol Hill Occupied Protest. And then the leadership further split and said, no, no, no. Half of us think it should be the Capitol Hill organized protest, not occupied, but organized protest, because we're not an autonomous country or nation. Yeah. We're not trying to secede from Seattle or from the United States. We're just 
a protest and we're occupied or we're organized. We don't even know. I just (laughs) hope they don't call themselves Chud. Are you familiar with Chud, Connor? I don't know Chud. C-H-U-D. It's a a very bad movie from about 40 (laughs) years ago. And Chud stood for Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers. Dope. You do not want to run into those guys. That sounds like very much... Sounds like Nanar. Sounds like we were discussing our, our favorite Nanar movies. Nanar is a French word meaning so bad it's good. Film, media, books, <laughs> movies, whatever. And when a movie is so bad, like famously The Room, or some would say, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show is so bad it's good. It's so cheesy. It's so camp. It's over the top. Or some people would argue camp and intentional cheese isn't, isn't Nanar. It has to be unintentionally bad. It has to be... In, hoping that your movie was going to be good, but it turned out like crap. That's Nanar. So, so is this Chud intentional or unintentional? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> so you heard uh, Connor's uh, crystal ball, his millennial crystal ball. I actually have maybe a more reliable crystal ball, an ABC News poll, thousands of people. And we're going to find out when we return uh, just how many Americans are interested in this defund the police thing when we return on Too Many Lawyers. Thank you so much for listening, by the way. If you, uh, before we, quick, before we go to break here, if you guys like the show, uh, go on iTunes where you get your podcasts on the podcast app or go on your Android podcast app or go on Stitcher or go on wherever it is you get your podcasts and, and find our podcast and leave a review. You know, give us five stars and six stars maybe if they'll let you and say, you know, how great the show is and, and uh, that other people should check it out and just, you know, get the bots uh, uh, seeing engagement on the show because it really does help. We'll be back on Too Many Lawyers to with us. Are you in search of deeper meaning in your life? Longing to manifest your true desires and unlock your full potential? Look no further than Portal Mystico Podcast, your gateway to treasure trove of transformative tools, enlightening interviews, and enriching content. I'm your host, Elena Maggio, and it's my heartfelt desire to guide you on this extraordinary journey of self-discovery. And with every episode, I'm passionate about sharing and introducing you to new topics in self-development, metaphysics, astrology, the law of attraction, numerology, interviews that will eliminate your path and fuel your own personal growth. This podcast is your wellspring of inspiration dedicated to help you uncover your purpose with unwavering passion. Together, we'll dive deep into the fascinating topics and explore endless possibilities. Listen to Portal Mystico on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite platform. I'm Chris Hahn, the Aggressive Progressive. Check out a new episode of the Aggressive Progressive podcast every Tuesday. You know, the election is heating up just as the year is winding down. Stick with me. I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Download the Aggressive Progressive on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And as promised, uh, the ABC News poll Paul, is giving Paul, some Paul. indication here, Connor. Two-thirds of Americans oppose the defund the police movement, according to ABC News. 34% do support it. So let's drill down a little bit more here. 60% oppose reducing law enforcement budgets for reallocation to public health and social programs. 39% of Americans like that. Now, to be realistic, I think the reallocation of budgets taking a chunk of current police budgets and pouring it into the community, marginalized areas, 
uh, homelessness and so on. I think that's much more realistic than, quote, defund the police. I think the mainstream Democrats, Biden and his group, are allergic to the phrase. But even just reducing law enforcement budgets. Are you surprised the mainstream poll like ABC would say, no, 60% of Americans are against it, given the climate of what we're hearing these days? I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. Frankly, I think that if you reframe that and say, holy cow, all of a sudden in the space of two weeks, now 40% of people in America think we spend too much on law enforcement. That so you're is, saying the glass so, is half full. I mean, sure, sure, depending on on your perspective on it. It's just, it's 40% different. If you'd asked that poll of people a month ago, what kind of response are you going to get in terms of should we allocate money away from cops? The response would have been 5%, 2%. Yeah, let's do it. People now understand that cops are being used like a hammer. And when you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. That we need to change fundamentally the way that we approach law enforcement. Now, Stacey Abrams, of course, angling... Uh, naturally, for a Biden VP slot, uh, also in contention, people like Susan Rice are, are in contention, uh, and, and people are talking about it now. But Stacey Abrams wrote uh, a, a big piece or did an interview or something, but she came out with her perspective on things, which is is great that she's taking a stand. She said, quote, it's, we're being drawn into a false choice idea about defund the police. So she said, it's not it's a false choice to say you can only either defund or reform, i.e. any attempts to reform are going to fall short of our goal. And so she's be taking discarded. a more moderate position. Exactly. And that is going to be, I mean, I tell you what, this is the bellwether really right here. This is the crystal ball. This is going to be the Democrats' position in November that we can reform and we can reallocate. We don't need to defund completely. Now, whether that's right, I don't know. I'm not... I'm not enough of a civics expert, really, to say that defund has to be all or nothing or it can be incremental. But I'll tell you what, staking out a movement and, and having a rallying cry and trying to make take big steps all at once, that does change the conversation. And that's how you get incremental change anyway. So might as well push for the big guns. Well, let's take a look at uh, some of the other or no numbers, guns, I guess. in the ABC News poll. Uh, let's talk about uh, a racial uh, divide here. Black Americans, 57% say defund the police and 64% say let's put more money toward other community programs, take it away from the cops. Mm -hmm. Whites, 26% of whites support defunding the police. 42% of Hispanics support both approaches, both defund and also putting the money toward other community programs. Mm -hmm. Democrats, 55% say defund the police, 59% let's reallocate. And Republicans, 89% oppose defunding and 86% uh, oppose redistribution. So uh, obviously this can change. Uh, the issue is just so much uh, on the front burner right now, but yeah. uh, that's how it looks right now. I, I mentioned at the top of the episode, Connor, uh, I wanted to look at both perspectives of two spokespeople in the black community. We talked about the columnist in the New York Times who said, let us literally abolish the police. Now let's go to Jason Riley. He is a conservative columnist in the Wall Street Journal. And here's what he wrote this week. So long as blacks are committing more than half of all murders and robberies while making up only 13% of the population, and so long as almost all of their victims are their neighbors, these communities will draw the lion's share of police attention. Defunding the police or making it easier to prosecute officers will only result in more lives lost in those neighborhoods that most need protecting. Now, here is a black columnist. Do you think he's just an outlier that is not going to resonate? 
resonate at all uh, with with other Black Americans? Correct. I don't think Jason Riley carries much weight um, uh, on the left. I don't think that they pay much attention to what he says. And I think the argument, uh, this the argument from statistics that he's pulling uh, out here is one that we have, you know, has been tried and true to say, well. It's black on black crime. It's happening from black people are, causing, are committing crimes and against their neighbors in their neighborhoods. Nobody cares about sitting down and looking at the crime stats and saying, well, c- black people are, are X percentage of the population, but they commit Y percent of crimes because all of these numbers that you're getting coming from fundamentally, they're, they come from our system, our status quo. People live in those communities that are over policed, too heavily policed, and that leads to people getting arrested for crimes. People are out there committing crimes all over the world, everywhere, all over the country, everywhere, but they're not getting arrested and treated by the police the way black people are. So the crime statistics that we're citing here are themselves based on bad data and therefore they're flawed. So nobody really cares about looking at that statistical number and trying to, and his argument there is underlying that implicit argument. Yeah, he says that. He says, well, that's the real issue, moves on. What he's really saying is black people aren't being mistreated by police. Black people aren't being uh, over-policed, over-arrested, and mistreated once they are arrested, which we know is not true. It, it's just not the case. Now, these stats that he's arguing from are not the stats we should be looking at, so it's not going to resonate with anybody. Let's give Jason Riley one more chance. Please. Let, me. let me hit you with another paragraph yeah. from his uh, op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal. He says, there's nothing wrong with having a debate about better policing strategies, how to root out bad cops, the role of police unions, and so forth. But that conversation needs perspective and context, and the press rarely provides it. People are protesting because the public has been led to believe that racist cops are gunning for blacks. Yet the available evidence shows that police use of deadly force has plunged in recent decades, including in big cities with large populations of low-income minorities. In the early 70s, New York City police officers shot more than 300 people a year. By 2019, that number had fallen to 34. What's he missing here? I mean, is, isn't that isn't that good news? Isn't that a, a, a supporting the idea that we should root out the bad cops? We certainly have enough of them on video, but that does that necessarily be a, is that a clarion call for defunding the police? I mean, Riley here is not making a persuasive case, persuasive to the left for, you know, rooting out bad cops. What he's saying is things are better than they were in the 70s, and, and most people would agree that you can look at the stats and say, yes, things are probably better than they were in the 70s for some people in some places. But that doesn't solve the problem. And saying, well, things are better now, so you should be quiet. So you shouldn't ask for even better. You shouldn't ask to improve the world. The world doesn't need to be a better place because it's already improved. Yeah, things are better now than they were in the 70s, better now than they were in the 60s, better now than they were in the 50s. Even assuming that's true across the board everywhere, which I don't think it is true, I mean, we are now more racially segregated in housing and education than we were when people were segregated immediately after segregation in schools was mandatorily ended, right? So we're getting more segregated because of economic stratification and cultural stratification. So you can't even really say that things are getting better, even if we can pull out some stats that say that guns use their uh, cops use their guns fewer times now than they did back then i'd be worried about the way that we're reporting and recording violent incidents or cops use of force nowadays and wouldn't really trust that the numbers do bear that out but really this is a guy saying things are fine things are okay there's no problem we don't need to fix things we don't need to improve the world and that's just not a message that's going to resonate when we could look at the body cam footage of people being murdered on camera now 
is it really going to resonate to say, well, look at this person being unjustly murdered on camera? Well, the world's just generally an okay place, so we don't have it. No, we, you, Johnny Cochran didn't stand up during O.J. Simpson's trial and say, okay, yeah, he killed him. He killed he killed these two people. He beheaded these two people. But you know what? Uh, the world's just generally a better place than it was 10 years ago, so we don't have to put O.J. in jail. It's fine. That wouldn't have flown. That wouldn't have worked. No one thinks that's the, the right argument to make or the right approach to take for how to make the world a better place is to say things are kind of fine already. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about a mud wrestling match between Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer. Drama in the Senate. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. Buckle up, folks. The Car Pro Show podcast is here to rescue you from the doldrums of everyday life. And you can find it on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast cravings take you. What do we have here, Doctor? Looks like yet another case of the Car Pro Show podcast giddies. Do you concur? I concur. And it's spreading like wildfire. I know, but the podcast is so powerful. Jerry and Kevin dish out all the juicy car news from the Car Pro Friends universe. They review and chat about the latest car lineups from all the big players in the industry. And they take live calls to help steer car buyers in the right direction. It's highly addictive and impossible to shake. Do we alert the press? Are you crazy? If more people discover the Car Pro Show podcast and its cornucopia of car curriculum, this thing will spiral out of control. Listen to the Car Pro Show on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast desires take you. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com <laughs> I'm Chris Hahn, the Aggressive Progressive. Check out a new episode of the Aggressive Progressive podcast every Tuesday. You know, the election is heating up just as the year is winding down. Stick with me. I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Download the Aggressive Progressive on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. You almost forgot your name for a second. <laughs> Admit it, right? Just I just about. love the dulcet tones of your voice. I was hoping you were going to continue talking. Well, thank all. you. So I, I think a lot of Republicans hope Mitch McConnell is going to continue talking about who should be on the Supreme Court for the next God, uh, Mitch McConnell. several years. But here's the deal, Connor. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very possible the Democrats could flip the Senate. So let's talk about Yeah, especially if Mitch McConnell keeps opening his mouth. Do you see what he said yesterday or today or whatever it was? He no. said. America already paid, he didn't say already, America paid for the sin of slavery by electing Obama. Okay, cool. I guess we're good then. So I guess he, now, today, in January or June of 2020, the thing to say is to say that America already solved racism. Smart so you, move, Mitch. So he's talking, you think he's talking about reparations in particular or, yeah, or, or a broader know. aspect? I, I don't know what he was talking to specifically or... He's basically just saying, things are okay, things are fine, I'm Jason Riley. It's kind of a provocative thing for McConnell to say. It's like he's drawing a line in the sand on this racial issue that is basically consuming America. I'm wondering if that's a signal that he sees the reparations issue, for example— as something that's good for Republicans, and he wants to kind of get in early and maybe lure the Democrats uh, in that direction to start talking about payment so that, I mean, Americans are— now a little more used to the idea of universal basic income, a little more used to the idea of reparations generally, because they all, all got checks that said Donald J. Trump on them, and they probably by and large yeah, cash those hey, checks. What about this idea? 
Here you have a person who is historically, unprecedentedly unpopular and obnoxious in the eyes of 99% of Americans, Donald Trump. And the issue is, how in the world could he possibly get reelected given these circumstances? You know, whatever you might say in his favor on the economy, the economy tanked because of the pandemic. He certainly hasn't gotten good marks about the pandemic. I don't think he's getting marks about the whole good marks on the whole racial issue. So how in the world could this guy get reelected? Well, one philosophy, I think, is that if you can sort of induce the Democrats to go hard, go left, embrace defunding the police and reparations for slavery, those might be issues that would be so unacceptable to the mainstream white majority in America that that is the only way Donald Trump can get reelected. I mean, it's possible. I think the Democrats have to have to take a long, hard look uh, at that. But let's get to the Senate issue because we're so there's so much focus on Trump and Biden. Um, if the Republicans hold on to the Senate, even if Trump goes down in flames, still, President Biden doesn't get to sign anything unless Mitch McConnell signs off on it and gets his in Republicans the Senate, right. in the Senate. Yep. So let's take a look at the Senate. Right mm-hmm. now, the Republicans lead 53 to 47. In November, of course, every two years, one third of the 100 senators are up. And in November, 35 are up for re-election. Now, the key is that it's bad news for the Republicans because you always look at, well, okay, of the 35 or 34 or so up this time around, how many are held by the Republicans versus Democrats? And the party with the big majority of the of the seats that are up, they have the greatest exposure. Yeah, they're in danger. They are in danger. And so the shape of this presidential campaign, of course, is going to influence the Senate elections. But right now... Experts have handicapped the Senate races, and there is some good news for the Republicans. There's a respected uh, polling source, uh, 272win.com. They say, as to races where confident predictions may, may be made, if, if the election were held today, the GOP would wind up ahead 50 to 46. So 96 uh, either aren't up for re-election or of those that are. The confident predictions say it would be 50 to 46. Now, that leaves four toss-up races, meaning Democrats would have to win all four to achieve a tie. And the only way a tie would help them, of course, is if Trump is defeated. But we're assuming he is going to be uh, defeated here. So you got toss-up races in Arizona, Republican incumbent Martha McSally, Colorado, incumbent Republican Cory Gardner, Maine, incumbent Republican Susan Collins, and North Carolina, incumbent Republican Tom Tillis. So every single toss-up is a race where a Republican stands a chance to lose a seat, not gain. So the Democrats have hope, but it's still like drawing to an inside straight in poker. It's it's interesting uh, to me. I, I found I found very interesting uh, Nate Silver, everybody's favorite uh, stats obsessed nerd, um, who thinks very highly of, of his own ability to predict things. Um, actually, I mean, he is a smart guy, even if he doesn't get everything right every time. Um, he was really focusing in on an Iowa poll that showed Teresa Greenfield leading Joni Ernst. Um, Joni Ernst, the Republican, Teresa Greenfield, the Democrat. She's got a three-point lead, 46 to 43 percent were in favor of each. And with that three-point lead in Iowa, he, Nate, thinks that this is— this is a real bellwether where Republicans are overestimating their strength, where they're saying he's saying 
if this Republican in Iowa is struggling, if she's down 3%, Republicans are going to be more in danger in more other places than pollsters are currently thinking. So we're pretty far out, and we don't really know anything, but the, the signs are pointing, in, in, in my view, uh, towards there being danger uh, for, for Republicans, not just for the structural reasons you're giving, but the polling is showing that in places where they should be winning bigger uh, or winning barely, uh, they're not. It's going to be an exciting campaign, especially since everybody's going to be able to vote from their Barca lounger. Yeah. I, I think we should have you know, little keypads installed, there, just like your TV remote. Good idea. So finally, we promised to tell you that, <laughs> doggone it, Donald Trump cares about climate change after all. Uh, and here's the deal. Sometimes, you know, you pick up the newspaper and say, oh, same, more of the same. I've read this story before. You go back to your bowl of lucky charms. But some headlines are really attention-grabbing, like the story about a House Democrat introducing a bill that would prevent presidents from blowing up hurricanes with nuclear bombs. All right? Seems so wise. Bill O'Reilly may be gone, but Representative Sylvia Garcia, Democrat of Texas, is looking out for you. Hooray! She's concerned. Yes. President Trump is mulling over the possibility of nu using nukes to blast away at a hurricane that might be bearing down on Mar-a-Lago. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, Florida generally. Generally, but but most important, specific. Most important part of Florida, yeah. So she's very worried about press reports. And as I understand it, Connor, you had heard the same thing. Uh, right. Recently. At one point, Trump, Trump had mused about the idea of blowing up a hurricane with uh, a nuclear weapon. This is the sort of— And he uh, discussed the concept with his Homeland Security and National Security Advisors. So that goes beyond musing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. This is the sort of thing where it's a good idea to get a law on the books ahead of time. Just just head that one off with the past, you know? only limited time in the Congress of Congress. There are some really things, yeah, yeah, it. they spend so much their time so productively. There are some <laughs> things that we can sort of leave it to presidents to, to you know, uh, to handle on their own, right? Uh, the lights on the presidential White House Christmas tree, though that up to him. He can do anything he wants with that. That's a Melania whether to area. That's probably true. Uh, whether to deploy nukes uh, off the coast of the U.S. in the middle of a, a hurricane and just sort of see where the fallout goes, uh, that maybe prophylactically pass along. Speaking of Melania, we've heard this week, uh, I guess the Washington Post a reporter, um, I don't remember her name, but she's written a book about Melania. And of course, you always have the juicy headlines about these books that come out about politicians. And the juicy headline is, well, the reason Melania didn't join Donald in the White House for the first five or six months of his term is because is not because little Baron, who's now six foot five, but then he was little, uh, had to finish up school in New York. Uh, instead, she was renegotiating her prenup. Apparently, it wasn't. Ter I popped my pee on the prenup there. It wasn't terribly favorable to Melania, but. Mm. I think as of now, it's a little bit better. There's a little more leverage given that she can, uh, you know, present herself uh, in any way she likes in, in the national media, and that's going to affect Trump. So she can say, hey, look, do what I want, renegotiate what I want, or else I'll act a, a different way in public. Yeah, he probably really didn't like the idea of her not showing up at the White House mm -hmm. a year or two years in. Apparently, what she didn't like is that the, his current estate plan provides a little bit more for the other kids besides uh, uh, Barron. Interesting. And now, and now things are a little. I guess their their even mothers were uh, shrewd negotiators. I suppose. But Melania's stepping up to the table. Very impressive. Yeah. The, this uh, this this overall, I think, uh, not to drag us back to the election, but the Senate election, I think, is really going to to keep to turn on um, how Trump is going to do in these moderate states. 
because a lot of these states that you were listing off that you were discussing are moderate uh, spots mm-hmm, where, right. where things can go either way. I think you said Maine, for example, was one of them. These are spots where uh, the the public opinion polls on Trump are really going to affect the Senate. So I think it would be very smart uh, for McConnell to try to focus back on uh, health care issues, because that's got to be the most important thing during a pandemic uh, come around November. Do you think the Republicans have a compelling message on uh, health care that, that's really going to resonate with Americans during oh, a I pandemic? I think health care is so far off of our uh, radar screen now. I think it, uh, certainly the Democrats tried to use the pandemic as a, a way to to uh, wedge themselves back in for universal health care, yeah. Medicare for all. But nobody's talking about it now. People are only talking about how the hell are we going to get a, a solution to the pandemic and B, how are we going to uh, solve this problem of, of police brutality and so on. So if that raises its head before the election, I I, I just think it's unlikely that what it would What do you happen. think about my, if I were, say I'm a Republican strategist, if I'm You're a, Repu- a Republican strategist. Thanks. Uh, you appreciate you're so accommodating. If I'm a Republican strategist sitting here, I'm thinking, hey, I don't want to do anything on health care. I don't want to, you know, maybe I want to attack Obamacare somehow and villainize it. But I, I don't want to make any substantive change to the status quo. That's the Republican position is to basically hold things steady. That right. private insurance is handling it. It's fine. I would tie health care to pandemic economic assistance and say, okay, the the private uh, private healthcare industry can work fine, and we can always supplement it with government assistance and just pump out more checks, like Trump pumped out the first. Well, Trump signed the first Economic Relief Act. He got his name on it. Stamp that as a Republican program. Do it two or three more times between now and then. Americans like getting checks and say, look, you can either have some giant government bureaucracy, have a death panel tell you when grandma's going to die, or you can get a check in the mail from the government. And that, I think, is the best, the only compelling case that Republicans can make for health care is to tie in economic relief to health care before November. And they have the time to do it. Well, they could try that. I think it's more likely, though, that they're going to try the approach that worked well for Trump, and that that is this. Uh, it's all about populism. It's all about whether people feel dissed by the elites. Uh, when Obama said, uh, these people who uh, cling bitterly to their guns and religion, and he didn't know he was being taped at the uh, wine and cheese reception in San Francisco, that turned uh, that was was used effectively against the Democrats. And I've, I've mentioned this before. In Pennsylvania, they had bumper stickers saying, I'm a bitter clinger. Yeah. People felt disrespected. I think the Republicans are going to try to exploit the idea that a lot of Americans coming out of this controversy about the pandemic and against police racism and brutality, a lot of, a lot of Americans are going to say, you know what? I'm not a racist. I feel dissed by people who claim that I am a racist, that our society is racist in general. I just want to get back to work. And so I think that's going to be the approach that the Republicans are going to try to take. If they they try to drill down on on healthcare, I don't think it's going to be a winning issue for them. Makes sense. To to get back to our our, our last issue about blowing up the hurricanes (laughs) with the nuclear weapons, you'll be happy to know, Connor, that experts on the effect of nuclear weapon detonation on hurricanes Uh say uh, that it it would be unlikely to have much of an impact on on hurricanes. Now, where you find an expert 
on the effect of nuclear weapons on hurricanes. I mean, that's got to be a, a narrow slice of the academic world. Look, you've got a thousand nerds who do hurricane stuff, and you've got a thousand nerds who do nuclear weapon stuff. What are the odds? You've got the Venn diagram, two yeah, people. Every every nerd has seven different interests. The overlap, the odds, <laughs> there's probably tons of them out there. That's all they do all day, every day is think about nukes and hurricanes. So bottom line who is who says Trump doesn't care about climate change. He it's wants true. to change it big time. <laughs> hey, we'll see you next week on Too Many Lawyers. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. Bye.